This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. I want to on-ramp you into the story, Shag, but I'm going to on-ramp you into the on-ramping by mentioning my previous to most recent use of the phrase on-ramp. And one of my, one of the bits of my Spooko journey is that I go to a barber now every like three weeks. I get a beard trim and I get my hair cut. And I'm trying to like develop a relationship and kind of talk about like, you know, where my look's going and stuff like that. And I'm 42 years old and I, I have well short of a full head of hair. Like if I go swimming, it looks like Homer Simpson. And my barber's always like, no, no, no. Like, you know, no, 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 Peach, it's fine. It's awesome. Like, we've got to keep doing it. And I was like, no, no, no. And so today was the day I was like, we are now on ramping to baldness. And I'm like, July 2024, I'm bald. And so we're now on the on the on ramp into baldness. So Shag, just as I'm on ramping into being bald, uh, I'm going to on ramp you into this story. And it's going to be a gentle on ramp, but we're going to get there. Wait, wait. Okay? So, so the baldness doesn't have anything to do with the story? No, only my my sort of like the the, the concept of on ramping. I'm like uh, like I'm sort of worrying that you know c- closing the loop. Uh, I'm just worried that it's a concept that's just stuck in my head because another word for on ramp is just to talk about or decide to do. Peach, you're a business owner now. You have to talk in this like jargon. And so Shag, I am a business owner, and I'm a business owner of a business that found itself in a little bit of a dispute that is still on foot right now. And one of the fun things, so one of the worst bits of having a lawyer is when you've got clients who've got spicy, interesting facts, and because you owe duties of confidence, you can't be like, Shag, you will never guess what this client is doing. You've got to see this. But because it's me, oh, well, like, because it's an entity I control, I can, like, fuck around and find out all day. And so, Shag, Graverman is the firm I operate, right? Yep. yep. And currently, it has a brand that is a little G. And I was reached out to by this firm like a week ago that was like, mm, how's it going having that little G there? And I was like, oh, it's, yeah, it's going fine. So far, I'm enjoying it. And they go, hmm. They didn't say this, but I was like, fuck, I haven't lodged a trademark in this yet. It's on my list of shit to do. Like check oh. my PO box, finish the website, set up emails, like do all the shit, do all the things. Register a trademark. I haven't registered a trademark yet. As you can imagine, straight after this phone call, the first thing I did was go register trademarks. Mm-hmm. But what they said was, hey, look, um, we use lowercase g, lowercase l, full stop. And Petrie, see, you're using lowercase g, and we think that's substantially similar, and we think that's an infringement of our trademark. But, but, and and look, I'm sure mm-hmm. you will explain this, right? But mm-hmm. the, the alphabet's owned by everybody. Mm-hmm. There, there's a finite number of letters. Mm-hmm. There's only two forms of those letters. Mm-hmm. So surely you can't trademark the fact that, well, my firm's initial is this, so therefore no other firm can use a G. Like, 
well, can you use even components of that initial of like, well, if you'd wanted to trademark G, you might have done that, right? Yeah, this is ridiculous. This is so ridiculous. Firms can't just be like, no, I've got this one. Like, it's not fair. Peach, I'm, I am on your side. Answer, you can Do imagine. Do you want me to like, represent you in this? Oh. <laughs> so, Shag, like you, can, like, you already know where my head was at. I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to share this letter on LinkedIn. We're going to pick apart this argument. Like, I'm essentially going to crowdsource legal advice and we're just going to go really, really hard. And so all my instincts were like, fuck around and find out. Let's go. I'll run this myself because it's my own thing. I can be super mean. Uh, because I've got a lot of friends, I could like bring in all the brains and bring in all the experts and like we're going to have a merry old time. And this is the peach frame of mind shake that you're probably familiar with. This is the the analogy was drawn by one of my lawyer mates of like, yeah, peach, this is the part of your personality that tells people to shut the fuck up on the quiet carriage. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Because the other half of that advice was, it's like, how actually important is this, right? How different is it to have a lowercase g versus a capital G? My answer at the time was there is nothing more important in the world than me having a lowercase g and me stopping them from having a lowercase g. So rah, 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 rah. You'll be pleased to hear, Shag, that I've written a very long letter that essentially says everything you said about lowercase g is wrong. Like, you suck. I'm like being like, hey, like, and if, like, best of luck with your trademarks in future. Um, in future, I'd encourage you to get some advice from a lawyer with some experience in the area. Because it looks like you sort of intended to trademark lowercase g, but you just didn't go ahead and do it. They practice, they claim to practice in trademarks. So I'm just taking a swipe to be like, hey, <laughs> like maybe you should go go, go, go get some advice from a lawyer Jesus who like knows Peach. what they're doing in this space because it's pretty important and it probably would have saved you the trouble of having this dispute. Um, so you know, best of luck. Anyway, I might or might not change to a capital G. Uh, and if I do, it's not because of your stupid letter. It's because you're such idiots that I don't want to have to spend two years <laughs> dealing with you. Because if we litigate this, you're probably going to raise lots of stupid points and be really irritating to deal with. And so if I choose to move to a capital G, uh, it'll be without admission that anything you've said is right. It'll be because you suck so hard that I don't want to spend any more time uh, with you. Which is the lawyer's equivalent of claiming you like won the fight by backing out of it. Like essentially it's a complete back down, right? <laughs> it's a complete back down, but I'm just raging and raving as I leave the room. And I realized, Shag, I don't really care whether it's lowercase g or capital G. Um, I think it was you who were like, Peace, you've graduated. Like, you know, like you, like you can be like, yeah, on reflection, some firms need to use little G's and good luck to them. It's like, yeah, probably capital G feels more, feels like more where Graverman's at home. Uh, and I saved myself spending two years in an argument with someone essentially about uh, making noise on the quiet carriage. Jake. So I'm evolving, on-ramping to baldness, avoiding trademark disputes. I mean, I think that's an important probably. part. Of, I think that's an important part of this pod. And my advice actually wasn't that, although to be fair, I'm a bit like, why is it a lower clay? Like, you know, you should, there should be, yeah, exactly. There should be decisions (laughs) behind your branding. Like, especially if it's just, I like the vibe of it. You should probably interrogate why you like the vibe of it. That's really important. But no, my advice was basically like, Peach, you're the brand. You Mm. and your fuck around and find out personality (laughs) is the brand, not the lowercase g. So I was kind of like, whatever they say, just do it. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a lowercase g or uppercase g. At the end of the day, you're the, anyway, but what I love about that story is it encapsulates so much of what's happened in this pod over the Mm. last 
four years? Four and a bit years, man. Four and a bit years. And I think I'm nostalgic because it's it's Spotify wrapped era. We're looking back over the year. We're looking back over things that have happened. I looked back and listened to episode one, two, and three, Shag. I faced my fears. Oh my God, how were they? They were pretty good. Oh, I still really? like them. Yeah. I reckon you could go back and have a listen. I remember, I, I remember when we made episodes one, two, and three, you were like, oh, I don't think they were very good. No, hey, well, let's go. <laughs> I thought that was you. Oh, was that me? That was you. You were like, mm, I'll listen back to this and see, see what I think. I Like, you know me, I'm an 80-20. I'm like, we've already done it. <laughs> May as well publish it. Actually, that's really true. That's really true. Yeah. But look, lots have happened. Mm. Um, your self-care journey has been amazing. You've started mm. a law firm. We've talked about Golden Child. There's now yes. two <gasps> golden children yes. in our little household. Yes, 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 yes. And I think yes. that's one of the reasons why last week, mm. so especially with the choice of film, I was a bit like, I don't know if I can stomach another kid-killing contemporary horror film. I just yeah, want to fair, do something. Very fair. And obviously as well, like just... The, the way the world is at the moment, you know, there's so much in in the world at the moment that I was just a bit like, we don't need to add to that discourse. But Peach, we're back on the kid killing train. Like, yeah, let's get them. I know it's been one week. <laughs> it's like a sore episode, and then it really makes you value your kids. It's like, yeah, you <laughs> really? watch kids getting kids. <laughs> no, but let me explain. Let me explain. Let me explain. Yeah, yeah. So we are in that time of the year where you reflect and you look back on the year that was, whether it's your, like, your favorite music or your favorite mm. TV shows. And something I like to do on Spooko is compile our favorite films of the year, even though yes. they're generally my favorite films. And you My just favorite horror film of the year, Shag, was whichever <laughs> one I watched of like us or I always forget the one I actually watched. Get out. That was my favorite <laughs> horror film of the year. <laughs> so... I wanted to make sure I hadn't missed any of the really iconic films that came out this year because I know I haven't covered everything. Mm. And so we, we haven't covered everything yet. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> and so I reached out to you. I yes. asked I, I asked you, Feel Bad Club, to give me suggestions. And I got so many suggestions, but also what I really love is when you get overlapping suggestions of the same horror title. People keep yes. suggesting. And there were probably three or so titles everyone wanted to see us cover and so i was yep. like cool that gives me a mission so the next three episodes i'm covering these three films and the first one is proper feel bad club and i think it you know in the same way that if you know you know is such a defining phrase in my life mm. it's like how do you know when to go back to covering kids dying <laughs> you just you just know you just know but mm. but no let me let me actually explain because the director of this film is really awesome he's this argentinian director and he was talking about this film that he's made that we're covering today that seems to have like a bit of a social comment about how, I guess, people, you know, people with privilege, people with wealth, people who are living in the cities kind of neglect people who live in rural areas, even though often they're the ones producing your food or your energy or whatever, right? Okay, yes. And, and so... He was talking about how he came to the idea of this film, uh, or at least not, like, you know, one of the inspirations from it, where he talked about how where he was, a lot of the big landowners had been using pesticides on their, on their crops 
and also yep. using a lot of very low wage workers to work the fields at the same time. So they're using yep. pesticides. They're also using very poor people to yep. actually do the work. Capitalism's a bad guy again. Yep. So in this interview, he said, the owners of those lands contaminate those fields with glyphosate to kill bugs. Pesticide. There's a lot of people who work in those fields and they get cancer. You'd probably see a little kid with cancer because they're workers. They didn't say anything, or if they say something, nobody knows. The pesticide infected them, he tells the interviewer. Mm. Kids were born with cancer. Sometimes you see something in the news, but then there's nothing more to say and you just forget the image. They're in the middle of nothing, the middle of poverty. They must do work for less than a couple of dollars and they're all ill. After you turn off the television, you forget they are still there. They are still probably going to die. So that's, that's kind of, I guess, one of the inspirations of the film. But what's cool about this is he says that he didn't actually set out to make a message film. He only set out to make a horror film. And I love this. This is the part yes. that sold me on it. He said, I've noticed for myself in my movies for a greater horror story, I want to make you suffer. And the social element just comes along with my culture. I've got to say, I read this interview after the film because I had a lot of questions after this film and I read this and I was like, okay, I think what's missing in contemporary horror where kids are fair game yes. is a director who has no empathy for children. Ooh. A director or a writer who's like, what's the grossest, worst, most fucked up thing we can do rather than someone who's trying to make you suffer. Whoa. This director wants you to feel bad and knows that that is the ingredient for a great horror film, has empathy for these kids from rural areas, but also knows to make you suffer, he needs to show how they're fair game. Peach, this is going to be such a good film. Are you ready for today's film? Oh, I'm actually feeling a bit bad now. <laughs> <laughs> so today, Peach, we're working our way through uh, Friendship Homework yes. with a 2023 supernatural psychological horror film called When Evil Lurks. Sick. That's like the definitive reason for Spooker. I'm like, what happens in that movie, Shag? You must tell me. I think I saw one kid getting killed in the trailer. I'm like, <laughs> don't worry, we're going to kill some kids in here. <laughs> it really does make me value my kids. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> oh, man. Look, uh, I... I'm so excited to do this one because you're right. This is the reason Spooko exists. This is one of these films where not only do you need a Wikipedia synopsis, 
but you need someone to help fill in the blanks because I don't think a Wikipedia synopsis will do it justice. But at the same time, there is no way you could watch this film piece. This has got everything. This has got like out of control gore. This has got jump scares out the wazoo. This has got relentless tension. This has got existential dread. And this has got probably one of the most depressing endings. And not even in an annoying The Mist way where it's like if you just waited five seconds before murder, <laughs> murder suiciding, you would have been fine. It's everything. This, is, this film makes you suffer, to quote the director, Demian Rugner, who I think you might remember did the film Terrified, which we covered. Oh, terrified. Uh, terrified, yes, 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 Which was another right. film that was French. Was like, like, interdimensional ghosts kind of thing. Yes, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's kind of one of those things where I, I think everything's complex, everything's nuanced, and we complain about friendship homework, but generally friendship homework is a net positive. You know, somebody who cares mm. about you assigns you something because with some understanding, yeah, out of love, yeah, out of love, love. They, they think you're going to like it. It's just mm. work and work sucks, but this has been a very pleasurable bit of friendship homework. I expect this podcast is probably a fair bit friendship homework driven. I expect most people listening to this are listening out of friendship homework. Maybe. Explain that. Tell me. Someone's like, oh, oh, you've got to hear the best podcast ever. They always go, oh, 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 You've got to hear. They probably do. Yeah. They probably Everyone in the Feel Bad Club says, oh, oh, all the time. Oh, 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 You've got to hear them talk about valuing their kid. You would love it. <laughs> this film really will make you value your kids. All right. Okay. All right. The other thing that this film does really well mm. that I don't think we talk about enough in Spooko mm. is how horror is the greatest genre because it can do anything, but that comes at a price. Often, if you're going to change the rules of the world, you have to do some world building. And I think yes. that can be complex and sometimes that just falls apart, especially in the later Hellraiser films where they set up this world where these demons come to torture you out of pleasure, but by the end all they do is just rip everyone apart with chains and it's like, whoa. Yeah. And it's also like, don't you think that's good? Like, don't you think that's helping them? <laughs> Isn't that your world? <laughs> Whereas this, in I, I think, God, it's, it's quite a short film. I think it's, it's maybe 100 minutes. Uh, it, it's 99 minutes. And within mm. that sets up essentially a post-apocalyptic Argentina in which somebody describes, at some point, it's amazing, right? Somebody describes this is a place where churches have left long ago. There seems to be demonic possession as a thing that exists in the world now. Yeah. And it's gotten to a point where it's, it's not like it's folk tales, like proper structures of government. So bureaucracies have been set up to deal with it. And it does that with a very small amount of characters and a small amount of locations. I'm about it. I'm having fun. All right. Okay. So let's. I could watch this easy. (laughs) (laughs) So the morning after hearing gunshots in nearby woods, brothers Pedro and Jamie discover half the body of a man. And and it's one of those things where it starts with them hearing gunshots at night. And so the next morning, they Mm. go into the woods and they find this man and he's torn in half. And one of them's like, I think it was a puma or, a, you know, like a mountain cat, whatever cats. I think they're pumas in, mm. in Argentina. I don't know. I say mm, like I know. I do not know. 
And the other one's like, no, they've been cut clean in half. That wasn't done by an animal. They find some books. They find these weird sort of old-timey instruments, almost like something from like an alchemist, like a 17th century alchemist or something. Yeah, yeah. And the, the book had the name of a nearby woman, Maria Eleanor. So they go to her shack where she and her two sons are in hiding. So she has a younger son, but her eldest, Uriel, has become what's called in this film a rotten. A rotten, yeah, okay. So a rotten is somebody who's been possessed by an unborn demon who is awaiting physical birth. And that's pretty good and intense. What's cool about this is, is you can't kill a rotten because if you kill a rotten, that hastens the birth of the demon. Oh, so what you're trying to prolong the life of the rotten. Well, well, so you can get a cleaner. And we learn a bit later on who these cleaners are, but you can essentially find a cleaner who will use those weird instruments to somehow kill the rotten in a way that doesn't birth the demon. Now, Uriel is kind so can of... So pause there. That's, that's, that's great. It's great, like, right? I just, like, I just sort of need to pause and be like, look, you know, like he kills you in your dreams when you're asleep. Like sometimes a concept itself is strong enough to, to really do a lot of heavy lifting. Mm. And I think that's a really good fundamental concept of like, we've got these rottens. Um, this is the fundamental tension. We can hopefully get some cleaners, but we'll see how we go. I applaud the fundamental sort of like you can't build a castle on sand, I think is what we're coming to learn. And like, and maybe Hellraiser is a good example of like by the time you get to its logical extension, you're sort of like, oh, hang on. What was all this about again? Like, you like, you know, you're sort of like back to the start of like, oh, fuck, hang on. No, this isn't actually what these movies are about, really. And I feel like with a, such a strong fundamental concept, um, you're able to do that, <laughs> kill those kids. <laughs> and do that exploration. Honestly, they earn all the kids' deaths in this film. Nice. They have, they have... You'd hate for it to be unearned, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, okay. So Uriel is, he's bedridden. He is essentially a living corpse. He has these giant sort of like almost like growths all over his body around his neck. He's very yellow and gangrenous. He can barely move. He's sort of breathing very heavily. But when they arrive, he's basically like, kill me and seems to know a bit more about them as well. And is like, you should kill me. And like starts trying to like play mind games with them. Because obviously the rotten Ah, wants to die. the demons. Yeah. And the demons are in there. Yeah. So the rotten wants you to murder it. So the demon can be born. Oh, so once I'm a rotten, it's sort of like zombie style. Like I'm kind of already, you know, from the moment I'm bitten, like Dracula style, Mm. zombie style, I'm kind of. Already on my way to being a baddie. Kind of yeah, thing. but I can't do anything. Like, I can't do anything. Like, the demon's yeah. in me, but I can't do anything until... You, like, that's the cool thing, right? Uh, so Damien talked about one of the things that he wanted to show with this film was, like, at the end of the day, the real villain is our inability to, like, restrain ourselves. So there's essentially these rules that come up in this film, and they turn it into a kid's song where it's like there's seven rules and things like don't use electric light because it can jump through electric light. Don't ever use firearms or gunpowder in any way. All of these different sort of rules. And they're all basically things where it's like humans, when panicked, will just start using these things. Yeah. And so 
So actually it's using our own inability to restrain ourselves against us. Magic. But anyway, so there's this rotten in this shack in the middle of nowhere. And there's also this discussion of being like, what the hell's a rotten doing out here? They should be in the cities. There's no rottens in the country. And then the brothers start talking about how maybe this is a ploy from the government because Maria, the mother, had told the government about her rotten son a year ago and nobody had done anything. Like this cleaner was about to show up after a year because potentially they're trying to essentially affect the land with some rottens, kill everyone, and then move in and usurp the uh, land. Ah, yes, yes, yes. So there's probably, there's, there's an element of like, maybe rotten or maybe demons are things we just live with in this apocalypse. They don't necessarily take over the world, but they're bad and they can, you know, destroy entire towns. I'm about it. Anyway, so the brothers do go to the authorities to be like, there's a rotten. They dismiss the demon as not their problem. The brothers approach the landowner Ruiz, who attempts to deal with Uriel by dumping the possessed man outside his land. So Ruiz is like, I have a pregnant wife. I can't have a rotten here. We have to kill it. The brothers are like, you can't kill it. Remember, and like everyone kind of knows, but when it gets down to it, they're like, maybe I should just kill it. Like, I think that's the cool thing about it. Even though everyone yeah, knows. Yeah, it's frustrating. You're like, champ, like, you know the rotten rules. What? And I'm just raving now, am I? I'm just like, oh, yeah. I've got a pregnant wife. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? So they're like, well, look, let's just move this rotten child away. So they, they pick him up by the sheet. And then, like, there's really gross scenes where, like, the bottom of the sheet is, like, so wet and so, like, mucusy. Yeah. And then the sheet snaps and he just falls to the ground and they have to pick him up with a blanket and they put him in the back of a truck. As they're driving away, they narrowly avoid a young boy standing in the middle of the road. Uh, that's good foreshadowing of, yeah, but yeah. When the three men stop, they discover Uriel has escaped the truck. Ruiz declares the matter resolved and returns. I love, no matter how creative the <laughs> horror film like idea it's like you still have to have a vibe. Oh, all this horror. Nah, it's not really. <laughs> Don't worry about it. The demon escaped my truck. It's yes. clearly. <laughs> no, no, no. It escaped to end the threat. It's like, that is the end of the, 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 prob- the real problem was it was in my truck. That was the. <laughs> now we've solved that. The next morning, Ruiz's pregnant wife, Yimina, discovers one of their goats has become possessed. And it's a moment where they don't really explain why, but they're out in the field and she points and she's like, Ruiz, and points at a goat and he's like, fuck. And he runs to get her gun and she's like, don't get your gun, don't get your gun. And he moves towards them. All the goats run away except this one goat. He's holding the shotgun at it, being like, like, fucking get out of here, demon. I don't want you on my and property. We, and we know gunpowder in our heads. We're like, fuck, champ, don't use the gunpowder. Because the, the brothers, the brothers from the beginning are like, Jamie yep. and Pedro are like, do not use a gun. You can't use a gun. You can't shoot them. Anyway, this goat slowly walks towards the gun barrel until its head oh, is like resting on the on, gun barrel. That's amazing. Ruiz is just in this standoff with this goat. So she, so her, his wife, who is like, please, please do not use a gun, runs into the house, grabs an axe, comes back, and he's like, please use this axe instead. The tension keeps rising. All of a sudden, the goat just starts, like, blurting, goes, bah! Ruiz, out of shock, pulls the trigger. Oh, blam. Yeah. Blows the goat's head off. 
There's a moment of silence. Oh, yes. And then an axe straight into Ruiz's face from the side. He falls down. We see it's the wife has just killed him. Then she kneels down. Now, this is gore shadowing, right? Remember, this is a pregnant woman. She kneels down, turns the axe around. This is a shot that even I was like, oh, Oh, okay, 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 okay. Okay, okay. Slams the axe into her face, slams it again, and then they start getting a bit slower as clearly she can't quite, like she's reaching Mm -hmm, her brain. mm -hmm. and, And then she falls over too. Now, that's the gore shadowing of this film to be like, this is what you're in for. This is within like 15 minutes. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm upset. Like I don't actually get this upset this often these days on Spooko. I'm. Mm-hmm. What this film tries to do though, is be like these possession outbreaks are no joke. Like once it's out, it's out. The next morning, Jamie and Pedro agree to leave the town, take their family members and escape to safety. Jamie gets their mother while Pedro goes to the home of his ex-wife, Sabrina. Now, Pedro, there's there's kind of like this really well-told backstory where Pedro is now living in the country with his brother because he potentially was violent or in some way abusive Mm. to his ex-partner who is now living happily with another man. She has... Three children, one of which with the new guy, yes. two of which who might be with, might have been with Pedro, one of which who has some pretty severe, I guess, uh, automotive functional difficulties in that yep. he, he can't really move yep. um, and, and seems to be in a bit of a, like, he, he, he's, non, he's non-verbal. He's not a rotten, like, we don't suspect. No, 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 oh, no, no, he's just, he's just, he's just, like, he's probably, like, the sort of person who you'd feel most... Like the sort of person who it's like, yeah, we've got to get out of here, but I need to save you because you can't, like, you can't yes. run away. I need to take you with me, even though that this means, you know, essentially. So, so he's essentially breaking a restraining order, which we find out pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, shit. the wife yeah. and partner, understandably, are like, get the fuck out of our house. What are you doing here? You can't be legally. Mm. You can't be here. So, he gets into the house anyway. He's like, I can't. I can't explain it. Starts taking off all of his clothes. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, I can't have anything from the house. I need some clothes. The partner's like, I'm not giving you any fucking clothes. Like, what are you doing? Sabrina comes down. She's like, what are you doing here? This is too much. This leads to an argument between him, Sabrina, and a new husband, Leonardo. When Pedro tries to collect his two children, so Jer is the one who is essentially immobilized and Santino, who's a young boy. While they are distracted by the argument, the family dog, who's one of those like big kind of scary dogs who previously licked Pedro's demon-mucked clothes, savagely attacks Vicky, the young girl, Leonardo and Sabrina's daughter, and drags her outside. And you've, you've seen a vicious dog like tear apart mm. a young, or like a toy or like whatever. Mm. It's essentially that. Okay. Now, I, I want to stop. I want to stop here. Because there's a lot of on-screen kid violence in this film. And again, like the, the director, you know, in an interview was asked about this to be like, this is pretty intense. How is it working with these kids? And he was like, actually working with the kids was awesome. He was like, he showed, he would show the kids and their parents the script 
expecting some blowback and they'd be like what this is cool let's do it like and you know kids right if you're like yeah. you're gonna get like turned apart by a dog they'd be like that sounds cool i want yeah, it sort of thing right? but the tough thing was actually all of the like uh, like and i mean it's good but all of the regulations of working with children so yeah wow so it's it's it, it gets around this in a lot of ways but yeah like it, it's it's interesting the 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 amount of thought and care this director has for kids while doing what he's doing to them on screen for for his actors versus it, like the care he has for his actors doesn't translate to the care he has for his characters as well i guess it's my i guess where i'm coming back to it, it's like i'm okay like i think anything is fair game in a horror film if you're someone who is empathetic to those people yes i think i think right like i don't want to see a sociopath make a film i want to see someone who deeply cares make a film that's going to make me suffer yes i think is what i'm trying to say We've seen so many. So, well, anyway, sorry. I don't want us to get distracted. Yeah, I, I, this is the difference between this mm. film and the sadness, where it's like I just wanted yes. to make the most fucked up movie ever. Where it's like this is not that film. Yes, yes. Like yes, there's yes, a yes. difference between I want to make a fucked up film and I want to make you suffer. This, like this has a beating heart to it. Mm. Like uh, it feels, and is arguably worse than this. Oh, maybe look, they're, they're, it's on par with the sadness. Anyway, yeah, okay. anyway. suffering's pretty bad. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So this dog drags her outside and runs down the street. Leonardo and Pedro run after the dog. Leonardo mm. grabs a gun and Pedro is like, please, please don't take the gun. Do not shoot the dog. And Leonardo's not listening. Obviously, he's completely distraught. He runs away. Pedro runs after him, eventually catches up with him, finds Leonardo with the gun pointed at the dog, the dog just looking at the gun, clearly like, yes, shoot me. Yeah, yeah, do it, do it. Leonardo shoots the dog. Pedro has this sort of slumped moment where he's like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake, doesn't even look again at Leonardo, knows that's it for him, runs back to the house. Pedro returns to see Sabrina, but at this point, the daughter, Vicky, has come back. And it's a bit like, no, hang on. We saw you yeah, get it, torn apart by it, this dog. But yes. she's essentially like, she's, she's like, oh, my baby, my daughter. And it's like, you know, you know like, like, like brushing her hair and stuff. Like, does it hurt? And the daughter's like, no, I'm fine. And it's like smiling. And you're like, oh, fuck, what is it? <sighs> so she's unharmed. But we see her say, daddy's going to kill you. And the mom's like, what? He's like, yeah, daddy's going to kill you like this. Oh, bum, bum, bum. And it's going to be so funny and Jack, your eyes doing that i know it's not a podcast like you're, <laughs> like you're acting that your eyes are super wide and wild you're like, mm. oh like evil kids holy shit like yeah, yeah there's there's a line in this film that i really like where they say it goes after kids because evil likes children and children like evil and i was like yeah, like nice. again if you pick apart that line it makes no sense but if you just leave it in the air it's very spooky yeah if it's a piece of poetry you get it but if it's like, here's an explanation for the fundamental ideas in the film, you're like, oh, sort of yes and no. <laughs> that's, that is a great analogy. All right. Yeah. So Pedro's like, Vicky's done for, Sabrina's done for, her partner's done for. I'm just going to take my two kids, pack them into Sabrina's car. So he takes their car mm. and as he's driving away with his sons, he sees Leo at full speed drive straight into Sabrina on the front porch oh while Vicky, the, the child, watches and dances. 
That's awesome and horrific, Jack. So after Pedro picks up Jamie and their mother, the assembled family leaves town and arrives at the house of Myrta, a former cleaner and a friend of Jamie who invited them to stay overnight. Myrta warns Jamie about Jer. Oh, sorry. So Jer's autistic, but he's like, he, he's nonverbal. He's sort yeah, of okay. like, yeah, like needs a lot of support. As exhibiting signs of possession, which Jamie dismisses. And it's, she sort of explains, and like, I, I, like, hopefully this is okay, like, within the confines of the film. Like, I haven't had time to properly examine it, but the way she describes it is, like, especially for someone who's, like, nonverbal and potentially, like, needs support, a, a demon can get in there but can't really do too much. Okay. Essentially gets trapped in there. So it can't rotten out the person. Well, it can't do the usual things, which is walk around and taunt people and tell them to come and kill you and yeah. that sort of thing. And so Murta's like, okay, like, no, you haven't left the demons behind. You've brought the demons with us because Jer is possessed. But they're just kind of like, you know what? I'm not going to kill my kid. We're fine. We'll just keep outrunning this thing. She actually says this amazing thing where it's like, the only way to get away is to run away to somewhere you didn't even know existed. Leave everything behind. Don't bring anything. Don't talk to anyone you knew ever again. Like, that's the only way to outrun a rotten which is, like, so unbelievable. Anyway, okay. The possessed corpse of Sabrina shows up, kidnaps Santino, and Murta advises that Jamie chase after her while she and Pedro search for Uriel to end the demonic plague. So remember, Uriel is somewhere, and they're like, Uriel is, like, ground zero. If we can kill Uriel, yeah, okay. we can get, like, that's, that's where the demon is living right now. They're bouncing everywhere. But the demon's really living in Uriel, and that's we can kill Uriel. And Uriel, Uriel escaped probably. out of our truck at the start of yeah, the Yeah, so we don't know yep. where Uriel is. Yep. While seeking out Sabrina, Jamie discovers that, oh, my God. Okay, so Ugh. so she, she like, I'm, I'm just, like, she's, like, I mean, maybe I don't even say this bit. Maybe mm. I don't. Yeah, do, 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 do. Yeah, like, come on then. Yeah, let's do it. So she's holding this child, like this, this like possessed Sabrina is holding the child Santino. But when he drives closer, he realizes she's just mindlessly like eating from his brains. Like it's a bucket of popcorn. Oh, God. And, and it becomes this thing where it's like once the demon gets a hold of you, you start eating other people. Like that's one of the things that you do. Once you're, you know, possessed by one of these demons. So. So sorry, like, I, I think I've missed a step. You either get possessed and become a rotten where you give birth to a demon or you get possessed and become well, possessed. Well, so, so, yeah, so, so this is where it gets a bit confusing, right? So the demon is unborn, but its spirit, I guess, is like creating a plague of okay. possession. But if the, the original rotten is killed an actual demon like a physical demon is born so i can have my body either either yeah possessed by a physical demon for them to put to use to do things yes or sort of infected as it were to gestate a physical demon to be yes. born out of my corpse yes okay. yes that is my understanding that is yeah. my understanding so he runs over Sabrina in a fit of emotion. So that's, um, uh, that's Jamie, Pedro's brother. Mm. In doing this, he collides with a tree. Again, like he's now 
prolonging the curse by killing her. Even though he didn't kill her with a gunshot, he still killed her not in the correct way. Okay. The brother's mother stays at Murta's house and waits with Jer, who returns to the house, now speaking clearly and without impediment. Uh, anyway. That's good. That, like, that's good possession stuff, yeah. So, meanwhile, Pedro and Murta's search leads them to a schoolhouse filled with possessed children who, in the middle of the night, are all sitting at their desk facing forward. They boldly lie to the pair in order to, the, in order to enable the demonic birth. So basically, both, both Murta and Pedro come in being like, where's Uriel? And they keep, at first they pretend like they can't speak and they're scared. But then when they realize, no, these kids are possessed, the kids start being like, I know where Uriel is. He's up at that house over the hill. And then another one comes out and it's like, I know where Uriel is. He's at my house. And basically they do oh, anything to make them everywhere. leave. Okay. So they're like, no, they're protecting him. We need to go and explore the school. So the pair eventually find their way to a small auditorium where under the stage are the bodies of all of the adults they've killed. Oh. And under the bodies of all these adults is the body of Uriel who's still alive. And as soon as they find him, Uriel says, please kill me. Oh, so Uriel's buried under all these bodies. Yes. Like, okay. And they've essentially hidden him to help like, protect him in his gestation. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, okay. So Murta's like, we can do this. Help me set up this equipment. I need you to pull out the body. Pedro's like, this body's way too heavy. I can't pull him out. Murta's like, you just need to do something. I need to get this you know, particular like rot. It's like almost like a straw thing. I need to get that into the nape of his neck. She's busy setting up this old time. Setting up uh, yeah, cleaners, equipment, the old timey alchemy stuff. Yeah, yeah. One of the kids is like, hey, maybe you could use an axe to help get to Uriel. You know, it's in the principal's office. Murta's like, do not believe their lies. They are oh, evil all children possessed. Are so good. Yeah, yeah. But of course, because he's only human, Pedro loses his patient uh, and runs into the principal office where he finds the fire axe uh, cupboard empty. He turns around. The kids have wrapped wire around the doorknobs so he can't leave. While he's away, the children trap Pedro, as I said, and and you see them all just kill Myrtle with a hammer. And like... Just a bunch of scary kids killing an old woman. Killing some old lady with a hammer. Yeah, that's awesomely fucked. And, and all sort of smiling while they do it. <sighs> they kill Murta and dismantle the equipment. Enraged, Pedro comes outside, picks up one of the parts of the equipment, and beats Uriel to death with it. Like, just keeps beating his face till there's basically yeah, okay. nothing left. The demon inside Uriel is born. Yes, like we did, we did need this. Like we did need the denim on, didn't we? Like we needed to see the fucking demon. So this demon comes out of the bottom of the stage. Now, and- can I just pause here? Yeah. This, the, the the degree of difficulty to pull off this demon being good is very high. And if they did an at least competent job with this demon, then that is a high, high achievement. So. I don't think it's a 10 out of 10 demon. Okay. But we're in the conversation for pretty good. They start by obscuring it. So when you see it rise out of the stage, you see it out of focus. You just see a humanoid figure sort of emerge. 
Yes. It walks. It walks towards Pedro, and we realize it's a bald, naked child that's completely covered in blood. It walks up to Pedro and then just traces its fingers over the top of his head, leaving these four bloody lines on his forehead. As it walks to the door, we see all the kids now smiling, open the door for it. And then we watch this demon lead all these kids out into the forest as the sun begins to rise. Yes. Pedro, Jamie, and Jer return home. Jamie finds Uriel's possessed brother. So Uriel obviously had the younger brother, and it turns out it was him who killed the original cleaner four days ago. And he also reveals that he then ate it because a voice inside him told him to. And it's the same thing that happened to Jamie's mother at some point. Okay. Back inside the house, Pedro feeds Jer ice cream, but he begins choking and slowly coughs up tufts of hair and then the locket that belonged to Pedro's mother. So we realize that Jer is possessed. That, that night where, where he just became fully functioning, yes. he must have killed and eaten Jamie's mother while they were away under the, and then tricking everyone under the veil of his autism. Pedro walks outside and collapses in grief, having lost everyone but Jamie. And, and the end is just him on the ground, just crying, screaming in pain. And that is when evil lurks. Um, I think that's very, 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 very good. Like, if I can just lean back to the monster execution, I think we're so deep into reasonably competent CGI that we've come out the other side now that there's no real possible, like, there's nothing CGI-ish that can really get there. And look, maybe I'll be proved wrong at some stage. But I feel like there's no real, like, uh, maybe the point is nothing springs to mind, right? Maybe the point is there's nothing I can imagine. But in any case, there's nothing I can imagine. And I feel like that's such an artful outcome of getting around that problem of, like, we're going to make it a spider-shaped, monster-shaped, <laughs> razor-sharp teeth with bat wings, <laughs> this, that, or the other, tentacles, uh, scales, venom. And and then doing it this way to be like it's a, it's a child covered in blood. I I, I applaud that as a um, not merely a practical feat, but one that feels consistent with the film. Shag, it felt like an atmospheric piece as much as anything, like a series of sort of short stories knitted together. I, I found it pretty impressive, pretty diverting. But did it make you value your kids more? Jag, it made me wish I'd said that before you did. <laughs> uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up? Fuck, that sounded like a really good one. Uh, leave this in the episode. Like, I was like, oh, I'd quite like to see that. Like, this is the first time I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I'd like to see that. Anyway, future spookos, we'll talk about it. Good.